0: Let's give these guys a round of applause. Thank you so much for being here. Like Jay said, they will be out there. Please introduce yourself to them. They would love to get to know you. But as we kick off today, I want to take you back to 1184 B.C. I don't think many of you were born during that time. In 1184 B.C., it was the height of the bloody, brutal Trojan War. Fought between the Greeks and the people of Troy. And for 10 years the Greeks were trying to conquer this city but to no avail. So after a while the Greeks they started to change their tactics under the leadership of Odysseus. Under that leadership they decided to go for deception. And so what they did was they wanted to present the people of Troy with a gift or so they thought it was a gift. This Trojan horse was a symbol in that, in that city. And so they presented this big gift. At the gates of Troy. And then the Greeks left. And pretended to sail away. Well these Greek soldiers. Were in this Trojan horse. They wheeled it into the middle of their city. Because they thought. Oh look there's an offering to our gods. And a peace offering. Saying that we've won the war. And so they put him there in the middle of the night. And they go to sleep. Well unbeknownst. To the people of Troy in the midst of that, of that horse were Greek soldiers. A lot of them climbed out, they unlocked the gates, welcomed all the rest of the Greek soldiers. That night they ambushed the people of Troy and ended up taking the city. They thought something was good, it ended up not being good. They were deceived. This phrase, Trojan horse, continues on into our culture in the realm of cybersecurity. The cybersecurity company CrowdStrike puts it this way. A Trojan horse is a type of malware that disguises itself as a legitimate code or software. But once inside the network, they can damage files or steal data. You see, whether it's the Greeks or a hacker, it exemplifies the truth of deception. Many of you have been deceived in your life where you thought something was good, you thought something was true, you thought something was as it was until you found out it wasn't. And because of that deception, it got into your life and wreaked havoc on everything that you did. Well, last week we kicked off a message series on the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. And we said that we want to become battle ready against the forces of evil, and we acknowledge the evil one. And this evil one has many different characteristics attached to him. And one of those titles that Satan is known for throughout all of scripture is the title of deceiver. And just like a hacker, just like the Greeks, it looks really, really good until it isn't. It looks true until it isn't. And Satan, he wants to deceive you. He will trick you into thinking he is one thing, but then you realize it's another We see that in the story of Adam and Eve. Think about it. Adam and Eve are told by God that they can have the whole land and they can eat from any tree except one tree. And Adam and Eve knew this was the truth until Satan comes along in the form of a snake and whispers to them, did God really say that? There are times in your life and my life when we hear Satan whisper, did God really say that? And if we entertain that question, And we allow it to go down a path that we shouldn't. We are deceived. And Eve took the fruit. And from there, the rest of history has been affected by what they did a very long time ago. As God comes up to Eve in the garden, we see this in Genesis 3.13. The Lord asked the woman, what have you done? And she said, the serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. She had this fruit in her hand, and she's looking at it. And he's saying, it looks good. It looks delicious. It looks appetizing. It's going to be good for you. You should take it. And she believes him, and she takes it. And now she, he is in and wreaks havoc on their lives and the lives afterwards. And one of the reasons that Satan is such a deceiver is because oftentimes he looks literally like somebody sent from God. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where he says in verse 14, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He comes like in a Trojan horse and you think this is great until you realize it isn't. He masquerades like an angel of light until he gets into your life and then he takes off the mask and you're thinking, that's not what I thought it was supposed to be. Satan is so evil that he's not gonna knock on your door to say, hey, Satan's here, let me in. He's gonna come through the back door. There are some things happening in our lives right now where we just kept looking out the front door and he snuck right in the back. He will appeal to pleasure He will appeal to money. He will appeal to relationships. He will appeal to your addictions. He will appeal to either overeating or undereating. He will appeal to body image. And you think, that's exactly right. This is good until you take a bite of the fruit and you realize, what in the world have I done? He is tricky. He is conniving, and he will do whatever it takes to get into your life so he can wreak havoc. That's why the Apostle Paul says, look, this evil one is more evil than you can ever realize. And if you want to fight the evil one, you must stand firm and then you must put on the armor, just like a Roman soldier would put on armor as he is going out to battle. And the Apostle Paul in verse 14, if you have your Bibles, turn there. We are going to be just in this verse most of the time today. And he says, look, stand your ground so that at the end of the day, you'll still be standing no matter what happens. And he says, if you want to do that, you must put on the belt of truth in the body armor or the breastplate of God's righteousness. The first thing he says is to put on the belt of truth. Now, by this picture, you can tell that Paula snapped a picture of me getting ready one morning. You can tell uh, by, shouldn't be laughing. Ripped forearms and the very skinny waist, obviously, is me. And I did not get this from Google, no. But as you think about putting on a belt, it obviously looks something like this, right? But the Apostle Paul, again, is not thinking of this kind of belt. He's thinking of this kind of belt, which was like a girdle, something underneath of the clothes, where we put a belt on over top. And John Stott says the belt was underneath everything. It held the soldier's tunic together and held his sword. It was hidden but it gave a soldier a sense of strength and confidence. After you put your pants on, obviously one of the last things you do before you leave the house, you put your belt on and then you go. But with a soldier, he put on the tunic or he put on this girdle, this belt first, underneath of it all, to hold everything together. And it was so important, Paul said, you must put it on first. Do not forget this, because it's of utmost importance for standing firm Against the evil one. And so another phrase for truth that I want to look at with you today. Is this phrase biblical orthodoxy. Now the word orthodoxy according to Nicholas Perrin is straight thinking. And biblical orthodoxy means straight thinking on the basis of the Bible. Now even if you are not a religious person. I can promise you you're of orthodox. You have a straight kind of thinking or a foundational truth underneath of everything that you put on every single day that holds everything together that allows you to see the world through it. Your beliefs, your ethics, your values, which then in turn to the way you live, your actions are all tied to your orthodoxy. You have a path that you want to go down in order to live the life you think is the right kind of life. And this truth gives you the thoughts, gives you the straight thinking to go down that path. Every single person is an orthodox person. Whether you're an orthodox Christian, an orthodox Jew, an orthodox Muslim, an orthodox Hindu, an orthodox atheist, an orthodox agnostic. Every person has truth that's underneath the surface and by it we see everything else. Now, Christians ought to have biblical orthodoxy, which means everything should be tied back to the scriptures. And we don't just look at the scriptures on a Sunday morning because we're here, or we don't just go to the scriptures when we need a word of encouragement only. We go to the scriptures every single day. You don't just put a belt on once a week. Unless you sleep in your pants for seven days, and by then, that's kind of weird, okay? Every single day you're putting on pants, you're putting on a belt. Every day, to hold up your pants so you can go out and be a normal person. And Paul says the same thing is true with the belt of truth. You cannot just put it on on Sundays. It doesn't work that way. You have to put it on every single day for by which, for by everything is held together. If that's the case... Why don't we put it on every day? We're too busy. We're bored of it. We don't create enough time. We want to sleep in. Probably today is one of those days. We make up a lot of excuses. What if I told you that's the enemy coming in the back door? see, you may say, ah, I think you're putting this too much on the enemy. And I would say back to you, I don't think we give the enemy enough credence. In fact, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Screwtape Letters, which Pastor Jay introduced to you last week, is all about spiritual warfare, one of the greatest books I've ever read. Written from the enemy's perspective, he says this It is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. The greatest victory the enemy can have in your life is to deceive you into thinking you don't need to put on God's truth every single day. He will say you're too busy. You're too tired. You have to go exercise because if you don't get that in, what's your body going to look like? You will have all these excuses. Trust me, every morning there is this one word that oftentimes trumps the Bible and it's called snooze. And I hit it all the time. You can ask my wife. Because I think I'm too tired and I need more sleep. And I'm telling you, when I leave the morning without putting on the belt of truth, I may have gotten a lot of sleep, but I am a miserable person. Because there is another truth operating behind, be, be, uh, below the surface that is informing me how to live. You and I are not neutral beings. Every single day you are putting on a truth. It is either the truth of the scriptures or it is the truth, a, a different kind of truth, an alternative truth. That will determine how you live. If you don't believe me, watch this. When I experience pain, not if, but when, Jesus says in this world you will have trouble. Whether you're a Christ follower or not, we live in a broken world and something is going to happen or is happening that will cause you pain and heartache and suffering. God's truth says God is good and I can trust him. Whereas the alternative truth says God cannot be good and is not trustworthy. Two different truths that you and I will put on every single day that lead to a different kind of life based upon the truth you put on. There are people that I know that are going through horrible pain and suffering. And they know to be able to stand against the enemy they have to put on this belt of truth. They have to remember that God has a plan They have to remember that there is the potential for peace and joy in the midst. They have to remember that there are some things in life that we can't learn outside of pain and suffering. That's the Bible, and it will help you so much in pain. The other side of that is, you will go through something in life, and if you begin to question God, and you don't have God's truth to to support you in that questioning and doubting, It will lead you far from God. Most people that I know who have walked away from God, it always goes back to some kind of pain or trauma that they didn't think God was good enough to get them through. You are going to put on a truth and the enemy will deceive you into thinking he is not good so he can lead you away from him. When it comes to my finances, God's truth says, I am a steward of what I've been given, where the alternative truth, whatever truth that is, is I am in control of what I've earned. God's truth says, what you have is a result of God allowing you to have that. You are a steward, you are a manager of what God has given you. Yes, you have worked hard, but he has given you the ability to do so. He's gifted you with being a teacher or being an electrician or being a businesswoman or being a a principal or being a pastor or whatever that is. You know, God, you've enabled me to do that. And so whatever I earn, of course, I will spend wisely, save wisely, and I will be generous with because this isn't mine. This is yours. The other side says, I am a self-made person. I worked hard. I earned this degree. I earned this rank in the military. I have gone up this, this ladder in my company, and I have earned it. And therefore, I will do whatever I want with my own finances. And if I give it away, I can promise you it's because it'll look good on my tax returns. Other than that, I will guarantee that I will approach money my own way. One truth leads this way, one truth leads the other way. Or when it comes to my relationships, one truth says, which is God's truth, I'm here to serve people, whereas another truth says people are here to serve me. God's truth says God himself came down to this broken world to serve our needs, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. We see that when Jesus washes the disciples feet we see that exemplified on the cross he gave himself up for the benefit of others and when we understand that we will lovingly and willingly serve other people because of what God has done for us there is no better joy in giving your life for others but the other side of that is true too in this culture the main message is you matter You are the one that calls the shots. You are in control. It's all about you. And we see that as we treat other people in such a way that they should bow down to me and do what I want. And I may help somebody else so long as it benefits me. Every single day, you're going to put on a truth. It undergirds everything and it holds everything together. It will allow you to think straight and it will allow you to walk down the path that you decide is the path to follow. It'll either be God's truth or it'll be an alternative truth. You decide, but whatever truth that is, it leads to the path that you end up on. It leads to the destination as a result of it. In fact, the apostle Paul tells us this in the first part of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Here's the interesting thing. It all starts with your thoughts. Your thoughts dictate your actions. Your actions dictate where you end up in life. It all begins up here. And when you are thinking through the lens of an alternative truth, you will look like everybody else. You will copy the behaviors and the customs of the world. You are just another person in this world who is trying to fit in and do what everybody else is doing. Think about your life. Are you different at work? You should look different. You should speak different. You should act different in your homes, in your schools, with your kids, with other families. You should look differently. And if not, your thought process is being affected by what. You believe by what your truth is. But then Paul says, look, God will transform you into a new person, changing the way you think. You start to read the scriptures. You put that belt on every single day. It starts to transform you. It changes you from the inside out. And Paul says when that happens, then, then as a result of that happening, You will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So many people want to know God's will, but they don't want to think according to Scripture. Well, they go hand in hand. You fill your mind with the Scriptures. You put on that belt of truth every single day, and you will know God's will for you. And if you want to know God's will for you, it is easy. It really is. In fact, the Apostle Paul puts it this way in the last part of verse 14. Stand your guard, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor or the breastplate of God's righteousness. Again, thinking of the imagery from a Roman soldier, John Stott says the body armor or the breastplate covered the front and back of the soldier. It was a major piece of armor that protected the most vital organs. You put on the breastplate or the body armor, it protected your organs. Specifically, what Paul had in mind is your heart. You take an arrow to the heart, see you later. He says, imagine putting that on as you stand firm. And your relationship with God as you fight the evil one. It will protect your heart. Paul says righteousness will protect your heart. It is the body armor. Now righteousness is a really big word. But it's so easy to define. In fact Paul does that earlier in his letter in Ephesians. Chapter 4 verse 24 he says. Put on your new nature. Created to be like God. Truly righteous and holy. Righteousness is right living. Righteousness is knowing who you are now in Jesus and putting that nature on every single day. Holiness means being set apart. You are setting yourself apart from the rest of the world to live the way Jesus lived. It's right kind of living. You want to know God's will for your life? It's not about who you marry, where you'll live, or what job you'll have. That is important. But what's so important, beyond important, the will of God, is that you would live your life as if Jesus lived your life. Then, by the way, all the other details, whom you marry, where you'll work, you're supposed to be friends with all of those things, it just falls in line because you are living out the will of God because you're living out the truth of God in your life. Here's the problem, though. I don't do that in all the areas of my life. There are certain areas I say, God, these are yours. There's other areas I'll say, God, these are mine. Pastor J.D. Greer sounds off a warning. He says, whatever it is uncovered in your life, the enemy uses to attack you. He knows the areas of your life Where you're leaving unguarded, that you aren't living like Christ in that area, whether it's your parenting, your finances, at work, your marriage, and your friendships, when you're with other non-Christ followers, He knows exactly what to do to fire an arrow right into your heart, and He will not come through the front door and wave His hand and say, "Hey, can I come in for dinner? It's me, Satan. What are you making?" He's going to come through the back door. And once you realize he's there, it's too late. I have a friend of mine who I, I met with this past week, and I just really appreciate his vulnerability. Lived for God all of his high school career, went off and did a little missions work, and then he came back, and then slowly, ever so slowly, the enemy subtly got him to come towards him. This is not going to happen in a day. Casting crowns, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's so slow. After 20 years, maybe longer, you look at him, you realize he's got the looks, he's got the money, he's got the relationships he wants, he's got the job. He was, apart from his family, Realizing he didn't want to be, and he cried out to God for the first time in a long time. He just started to cry, and he hasn't stopped. In my office, through tears, he said, I don't know what's going to happen with the rest of my life. We said, whatever you sow will grow a couple weeks ago. He goes, "I I sowed a lot, and things are growing that I don't like. But when I finally started to live like Christ, in the areas that I know I haven't, I started to experience a peace this peace that's this hard shell around your heart that the enemy cannot penetrate no matter what you go through. Righteous living will protect you. And if you haven't been living like that, be like my friend who came home just like the prodigal son does in Luke chapter 15. And the, and the, and the father welcomed him in and brought him back in as a son. And he will do that for you as a son or daughter as well. And if you're thinking, okay, what exactly does this mean? It's not just living like Jesus in your life, but it's living like Jesus for the benefit of others. Paul, he's thinking of this imagery found in Isaiah chapter 59 of the divine warrior. And the reason this is a divine warrior, he is fighting battles because his people decided not to. They're apathetic. They're on the sidelines. So this is what happens in Isaiah chapter 59. The Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm, and his justice sustained him. He what? Put on the righteousness as his body armor. and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He looked out to his set apart people to fight for people who were on the fringes of society, who had no one fighting for them. They were oppressed, they were marginalized, and no one did anything. Because they were too busy thinking about themselves. And I'm just telling you, if you want to live righteously and guard your own heart, your heart must beat for what God's heart beats for. The 99 point whatever percent of people in Basque country that don't know him yet, God's heart beats for them. The people in our own communities who don't have enough, who are food insecure, people that don't matter. I'm thinking about even like when we did uh, the Tim Tebow night, so many of our special needs friends, they don't have a lot of people always in their corner. They're marginalized in our society. God says, "Will you fight for them. Put on the armor, not just for you, but for them. I don't want God to look at the chapel and say, why is no one intervening? Look at all of the needs. And the the evil one will say, yeah, but they got themselves in that situation. I mean, how many times you and I, we're, we're driving, we see a homeless person. Is our first inclination to help or to judge? Most of us, it's to judge. Most of us, they're drug dealers. Most of us, they gave themselves over to alcohol. Most of them, they're in addiction. They should help themselves. They can't. But you and I can. People in Basque Country, the Glacies family, they have to help them, and we must help them. Righteousness is not just for you. It's putting on the breastplate, the body armor for others as well. Every single moment of every single day, right before you leave the house, you're going to open the door, and there's going to be a Trojan horse sitting there. What's so scary. is you won't recognize it. You will think it's good. You will think it's for you. Until the enemy comes out and says, aha, I have you now. The only way that you and I can stand firm is to put on the belt of truth the body of righteousness, allowing the truth to fill our lives so that it comes out through our lives. The enemy can stick it where the sun don't shine. Sorry, Paul, I shouldn't have said that. I don't know if that's biblical or not, but it's true. (laughs) I said that in church, so sorry. But it's true. Fight. Fight. The belt of truth, the body of righteousness. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I... Apologize for my words at the end there. Please forgive me. But Lord, I, I just see the enemy winning too often in my own life, our family's life. I see it in my friends. I see it in this church. And it's so, so easy to think it's from you. The enemy masquerades himself as an angel of light, convincing us it's for our good until like a hacker that gets in the network ruins everything. Oh, Lord, help us to fight your truth with your truth and with righteousness so we can stand firm once and for all. In Jesus' name, amen. Go see the Glaciers. Say hi to them. Thank you. Have a good Sunday.